If you know me at all, you know that death is my bread mm -hmm. and danger my butter. Oh, no, danger's my bread and death is my butter. No, no, wait. Danger's my bread. Death, no, death. No, I'm sorry. Death is my... Death and danger are my various breads and, and various butters. Mm -hmm. This is the problem of conversation ending. You want to be the one to make sure... You want to be the one to close it off and then say, I've got to go. And I'm still struggling because recently someone else was able to beat me to it with the, well, we better go before I could say it, well, which made me think that I was lingering too long, but I wasn't. I was trying to be polite, and it was just a fraction of a second. But they said, well, we got to go, and they kind of looked up and like as if they're pointing to somebody across the room. Mm. And I do not like getting beaten to that punch. Have you tried the anyway like well, that yeah that's, that's kind usually. of right but i i want to i i know the things to do but i don't know the right balance between trying to be polite when you're in the conversation mm -hmm. and trying to deploy the anyway you know you're looking at your watch or you do look up as if someone is uh you know calling you i i tend to have this thing when i talk to people where well so i i'm gonna <clears> have to get going but we can finish this later right Oh, good one. How was that? I see what you did there. No, I don't like that at all. Um, I have this thing where, where I don't necessarily look directly at the person I'm talking to, but I sort the of... The whole time? Well, no. Some, sometimes I do. But I, but I sort of stare off, like, to think a lot. Like, if I'm, if I'm thinking of the next thing to say, I'll stare one way or the other. And almost every time I'm talking to a person, I need to work on this, they'll look behind them to see, are you staring at something and not... I mean, I'm engaged in the conversation. What if they don't do that? If they don't do what? If they don't catch you staring at behind them, how how do you avoid the rudeness though? Are they so like he, he's not in this conversation? No, it's it's not it's not so much rudeness because it's usually me talking while I'm not staring at them. It's not it's not that they're talking and I just start looking. In the oh, other I direction. got you. I yeah. got you. So so I'm like I'm trying to think of something. And I'm staring somewhere else, and almost every conversation they're turning back saying like, "What is he looking at?" While yeah, so, so that was really interesting. Thanks. Um, should we? Uh, you want at lunch tomorrow? I'll see you. I'll just give you a call. Anyway, is that how's that one? Oh, it depends. It depends on the context. Actually, I, I fell into that too because now we're stuck with lunch. I guess not because I'll say like I'll call you and you know I'm not gonna. Yeah. Wait. Do you say and you know I'm not gonna? You don't say that part. You edit that out in post. Okay. <laughs> oh, if that was only possible. I once dated a woman in graduate school where I the I would I would end. I didn't I didn't particularly much like dating her and you know I only, we only made it went on a few dates and, but i would end the conversation was well i'll give you a call did and you didn't and, well no i i would i would i would feel obliged to give her a call but i i couldn't stop ending my previous conversations with i'll give you a call like that was my i'll see you later but you can never say i'll see you later you always had to be that's true i should say i will see you never what about the thing this, cut ties. I, I had to call out a student for doing this because the rest of the students were like, hey, we're going to get together on Sunday. Can everybody make it? And then, you know, everybody said yes, definitively. They said, yes, I can make it. Okay. And one student did the, let me check. I think I can probably make it. Mm -hmm. And I had to announce to the class, I was like, you know he's not going to be there. Like right now, you need no more work to know that his answer of, I'm not sure, let me check, maybe, means no. Mm -hmm. we're, we're so in that, and when somebody starts, if it's anything but yes, I'll be there, yeah. it's a no. There's and, so many gradations of hedging, but all of them mean, no, you're not going to do it. And we do know with students as well, yes, I'm going to be there doesn't also uh, guarantee that they're going to be there. Yeah, that's true, too. Mm. But this is, I mean, that was just a student example, but there's uh, a general conversation or general friendships when somebody says, yeah, maybe I'll, we'll, we should probably, yeah, we should do that. 
if somebody gives you the yeah we should do that that's what i said about this podcast yeah <laughs> and look at us now This is uh, Various Breads and Butters. This is episode 66 here on Lafayette's own WJRH 104.9. You're really trying the radio voice. Yeah, I'm trying. With me in studio, as always, is Ben Brickhouse-Cohen. I'm Simon Tonev. And in the the, uh, studio there, we got Michelle-Poulton-Simon as our producer and our interns in trying out. They're still auditioning. Auditioning interns. We've got Thomas Sideshow Tom Williams. Hello. Hello, and we've got Eric Wings Weber. I think we there. should we should have different should have new names every yeah, time. New nicknames. That's so <laughs> hard to do. That's so hard to do. We are so not Tom, not Tom in the studio with us. Special guest is Mr. Stephen Roderick. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you for being here. Do you want here. to do your line? Oh, you must be thrilled to be here. I can't even express it. I mean, and this you're, is a and career you're, highlight. You're a, you're a writer. So, I mean, so and I had to, tra- I had to express all kinds of things. I had to travel very, very far to get here. There's like at you. least <laughs> four or five blocks. So you're you're guessing the category of clearly does nothing for you, and it's all to our benefit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. The, I read the, a book that came out three years ago, and I'm sure the sales on Amazon will go from one point one million. Mm-hmm. The sales rank, mm-hmm. not the sales, <laughs> to uh, at least eight hundred thousand. Right. Um, based I think it on, We're, we, we don't think. we don't cater to a lot of readers. I just want to let you know. So, do you have? Uh, do you have do I have it as, as a picture book? Picture book. It's a pop up book. Um, okay, that's good. That that'll help. We've now tripled down on the partner interviews. You're, this is the third pairing. What, what were the other pairings? Co-host of the show, Simon Tonev, mm-hmm. and, and his uh, partner, uh, Jennifer Tallarico. Correct. And Beyonce and uh, what's her We J- lost those JC? episodes. Yeah, oh, yeah, God, the, that was heartbreaking. That was, wait, the, but no, Beyonce was episode 22, Jay-Z was episode 28. There was an issue that we didn't have him on first, but oh, right. there was scheduling stuff. Boy, did we get blowback. We couldn't, mm. we couldn't handle that, but whatever. So there's there's a, actually, she's going to drop an album soon, and the whole story of that album is based on that conflict. Yeah, that um, it's called uh, Gatorade. Yes, yeah. oh, that was yeah, iced, yeah. iced tea, unsweetened right. iced tea. But anyway, uh, so the second batch, second pairing mm-hmm. was uh, both Hendricksons. Oh yeah, Brett Hendrickson and Religious Studies, Chaplain Alex Hendrickson. Correct. And then we had Professor Alex Olin, and now Stephen Roderick. Correct. Right here, right. Renowned now. writer. Renowned writer. <laughs> the literary prowess of your household is uh, is phenomenal. It just the. Pages flying out of our non-existent typewriters is mm-hmm. it's just like out of the credits of a 1980s TV series. And, and, ju- and just to update you, uh, on Amazon right now, Magical Stranger, which uh, you wrote, four and a half stars right now on Amazon. Yeah, I only had to buy 27 computers. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't think, I think you could have just used other computers. Did you buy it? computers i did buy it just for the ip addresses yeah yeah yeah, yeah. then i had to dra- i drove to lehigh to use their ip addresses oh and yeah oh, my God. and uh pierre and stroudsburg the entire and, valley and oh uh red roof inn in pittsburgh they haven't caught up to you yet no no i mean it was a total black ops campaign shartlesville that's a thing shartle it is i haven't been to shartlesville shartlesville has roadside america uh the 
the world's largest miniature museum. That sounds uh, enticing. I've been there. It was great. Was it? They played patriotic music. It's like one of those train sets, except it's it's did you the size go there, of a warehouse. Did you go there under the influence of nothing? Yeah, because I, I, I think I would have to be. No, what my parents live. It's on the way to. I, I think I would. Have, I think I would have had to rob a pharmacy before going to <laughs> we, that museum. I stopped um, there on the way back from from Virginia, and so it's always in the midpoint. Hmm. And I was always intrigued that I passed this thing all the time. So one time I actually stopped. Did you regret it? No, it was it was mind blowing. It was. Uh, although I say this to all writers all the time, and Alex will verify this. You should write a story about it. It was. <laughs> it's just so fascinating. The patriotic pomp and circumstance of the, it, which makes no sense. There's nothing about it which indicates that but it's I'm an American. But I'm interested that you stopped there without your family. <laughs> I didn't want to subject them to it. Oh, so and you're I, saying it was a magnanimous rather than a self, selfish gesture. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they would have been like, why are you seriously stopping? They would have thought I was kidding. Now, where would this story fit? Would this be one of uh, like a Rolling Stone? Would this be in New York? Oh, yeah, we got to walk through some CV stuff here. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I'm just... This is I, another... I think this is another circumstance when... Uh, listeners may presume that we're being facetious when we're not. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, we, we've, we've cultivated a, an air of facetiousness that right. now we have to be sincere. To now say we, that. we, we <laughs> need a little... very, very accomplished writer. We're actually very yeah. honored to have I you mean, come in. Thank I mean, you. Yeah. I'm not, you know, Rolling Stone magazine, for instance, is not just off the top of my head. Number one, it's a real magazine. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. I, I actually just got some new business cards that my son is now drawing on so i'm very excited about that with the same well especially since when you work at home there's really days can go by where you really don't have any proof that you're doing any work Mm -hmm. so one day the mailman brought this box of business cards which suggested that i was actually a human being and that i i was on somebody's list somewhere and that as a writer working at home that's that's amazing what what do the cards say it just has my name. It says uh, Raconteur at large, and it has my beeper number. <laughs> right. You and Dennis Duffy. <laughs> it, but it sounds like the work that you're trying to justify, uh, making sure people know that you do it when you work at home, was mostly dedicated to coming up with business card ideas. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> was... You got you to you start with something, and then you work your way up from that, right? Well, what I like to do, my normal work day, is read my Twitter feed. Yeah. For about a half hour. And you're a prolific tweeter. I am. Coincidentally, I live in eastern Pennsylvania, which <laughs> may have something to do with it. Wait a second. And I work at home. Oh, I want to run through this uh, the CV because we've only barely mentioned two and we're liable to get off track. What was the full name of um, your book, which is a good book? It's called The Magical Stranger, and it's uh, largely about my father, who was a pilot in the Navy. And uh, this is the uh, not funny portion of the podcast i was killed in a plane crash off the kitty hawk when i was 13 and the book is kind of half looking back at his life and half uh, i followed his old squadron from 2009 to 2011 2012 Mm -hmm. and um, went out to sea with him for a month or so um, got up in a flight and just kind of tried to figure out his life not just through the kind of typical memoir stuff but also through as we like to call it reportage Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, because there's only so much you can learn about your dad before the age of 13, so you've got to figure it out exactly. in other places. Yeah. I can't really fathom the emotional energy of spending the time or, or investing so much in that, in writing that book or doing that reportage. Like, how did you handle it? Well, you know, one of the things that really did help with that book is I wrote in California. So I had the sunshine, and there was an, we, we were living on uh, my wife's uh, sabbatical out there, and then her maternity leave, and... Um, 
right by Occidental College, which has a beautiful outdoor pool. So uh, nice. I would go swim out there. Mm-hmm. And I had a little office that just had a sliding door that opened up into the backyard. Can, can I ask, so, were, were you on the Occidental podcast at all? I was not. Interesting. I wonder if they even have one. Well, well here, here, here's a funny thing is like I suggested, uh, I found showed out, them. I, I found out the guy who taught like a magazine writing class there and I said, Hey, I'm living across the street and I really love it. And wrote him and said, if you ever need somebody to come in, uh, I'd be happy to come you in do and speak. It. I will walk across the street. And he never got back to me. I think he thought I was going to steal his gig. Oh, so, and he probably wouldn't have paid for your gas like we like we did. No, exactly, so, exactly, exactly. There you the go. Food service might have been better. Uh, oxy. Um, you. How long have you been writing for Rolling Stone? Um, about five years. The magazine is owned by Jan Winner, who also owns Men's Journal, which I write for frequently and actually was writing for before Rolling Stone. And he also uh, here's a little secret. He also owns Us Weekly, which I think I did is not know that what keeps. Some of the rest yeah, of the going. Now, yeah. is, is Men's Journal the way I can get rock hard abs in under seven weeks? No, that's that place like 20 miles down the road in, oh, in Emmaus. Men's Health. It. Men's Health. Got it. Where different apparently magazines. no male body hair is allowed. Is um, it not? Well, it just seems that all their covers and photo shoots involve shorn. Yeah, men. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to show their rock hard abs. Right. But, exactly. But your, your analogy isn't that far-fetched because... Uh, Rodale publishes Men's Health and Prevention magazine, so they can fund all their other things. And they've been yes, sure. I, I and they really... also they also do Runner's World, which makes some money. But there's, I'm sure they have some titles that are <laughs> in the in the red. Mm-hmm. But uh, Men's Journal is more. Even though I preface by saying that I have two sisters, mm-hmm. and I say that I still am the girl of the family. Okay, Men's Journal is manly men doing manly things, chopping wood, a lot of, Not, a lot of rock climbing. Uh, rock climbing, you know, jumping out of helicopters, uh, you know, going to Baja to watch motorcycles race. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You Are know. these all things you've written about? No, I haven't written about any of those things. What did you write about? And Yeah, what's your favorite piece for Men's Journal? Um, I did a piece on Robert Redford I really liked, but last year I did a piece on this guy named John McAfee, who is a computer oh, yeah. antivirus <laughs> security guy. Who's, He's the guy that slows down your computer with his software. Yeah, exactly, right exactly. Yeah, exactly. And here's a funny little story. Mm-hmm. He's completely insane. Yes. In a kind of nice way. He's writing for president on the libertarian uh, label, I guess you would call. Uh, And um, when I traveled with him, he never had fewer than three guns on him. And uh, when I came back to his house in Tennessee, he had a coffee table that was just full of rifles, burner phones, and bullets. So sounds like my coffee table. So that's that's your exact, you have the exact, exact. Are you, so you're saying that's bad? No, I'm just saying it is. You get and, that from Restoration Hardware? Where do you get, where do you get that? <laughs> exactly. So we get back. Uh, he went to Vegas to give a speech. Uh-huh. So first of all, I flew with him. I met him in Tennessee at his house. We drove four hours to Atlanta and flew out to Vegas. Oh. And, and because of his crazy security issues, we flew back the same night after he gave the speech. Oh, my God. And after flying out and spending four hours with him and then spending five hours with him in a hotel suite... I did something no journalist should do. Uh-oh. I called the airline and switched our seats so that I wouldn't have to sit next to him on the way back. <laughs> oh, because I knew once we got back, <laughs> we had another four-hour drive. So how does, that, how does this interview get arranged? Like, How do you get him to agree to do all this? How do you make this contact? Well, someone like him is... I was going to use the term media whore, but that's, that's so pejorative. I mean, <laughs> he, he aggressively courts media. So someone like that, yeah. it wasn't hard to get his cooperation. Mm-hmm. Um, his 
flightiness made it sort of hard to nail down the exact days. But once I got in his presence, you know, we we spent a good three or four days together. And um, like the last day I came over to see him at his house, I answered the door holding a pistol and uh, came in and it was 8.30, 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning. And he started making himself a tequila sunrise, uh, which is a heavy alcohol drink. Yeah. And he then he made me one and started stirring it with his fingers. And I oh don't know God. where those fingers have been. Actually, I didn't. I knew somewhere where those fingers have been. They'd been the, the day before digging in the dirt because he was convinced that someone had laid cable around his house oh to spy on him. Does Wait, he have and a- then it just turned out to be old uh, TV cable from 1998 or something like that. Does he have a, is it just him? Or does he have like an entourage? He ha- He lives with his, he has a bodyguard named John and John's most notable achievement in the three or four days I was with him. Uh, we were in Las Vegas backstage before he we went up to speak. And he's like, oh, I have such a toothache. And we all commiserate. And he said, I'll be back in a minute. And he walked out and came back like five minutes later and just holding a napkin with blood. And I said, <sighs> what happened? He's like, I went out and asked one of the construction workers for one of their wrenches, and I just pulled it out. That's oh. like, that's it. That's a Ron Swanson from Parks exactly. and Recreation. There's a scene, but he showed me the tooth, so I, it wasn't it wasn't fake. That is correct. We have to put the Ron I Swanson. I'm not feeling really well. On <laughs> um, and and how now? How comfortable are you with like firearms and stuff like that? Is that something that you grew up with? Like, is that I did not. Uh, I wrote a many years ago. A uh, story for GQ where I went to Knob Creek, Kentucky, where they have a something called the Knob Creek machine gun shoot, where twice a year you go there and you can shoot machine guns, flamethrowers. And I actually gave myself second degree burns. Ooh. I got blowback when I was yeah. the, the uh, flamethrowers started spinning out of control sure. and uh, started blowing back. And I'm like, boy, I feel a little hot. So that was a sacrifice for the writer's craft. That is that is the ultimate sacrifice. The reason I ask is that you walk into a house and a guy's holding a pistol. That would completely freak me out. Like, you know what I, I get I dislike when I go to like parties and there are people that are really, really drunk and I can't predict what they're gonna do next. You don't come over to our house. Yeah, then. well <laughs> <laughs> probably have probably like at three especially like at three o'clock on a Tuesday. Okay. That, okay, I'll, I'll you don't want to see what Peter's as up to. As long as I can avoid <laughs> it. But like so we have a still in our backyard. <laughs> but so you go to this house and you're like, I don't I have no idea or do you, do you just have a sense of like I I feel okay about this or you know, it's funny. It's like when I was younger and had no kids and no ties, I went to Columbia and did a story on the drug war there. And that seems safe. That and the, the comical thing is There's the idea. The idea of myself, me yeah. personally, going to a war zone is hilarious. Anytime you got to get K and R insurance to go anywhere yeah, is yeah. probably um, a place you shouldn't be. So. I flew to this small town with my fixer, who I later found out, he told me once we were down there, is that he was he was also a writer. He was a contributing editor at Soldier of Fortune magazine. Yeah. And he got all these great appointments with, like, these right-wing generals and colonels and stuff like that. And I'm looking back pretty sure that he probably was on the CIA payroll. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we flew down to meet some rebel general and got in some Jeep and drove, like, 40 miles into the jungle with these two 16- or 17-year-old kids with – guess AK-47s on their on their back. And you, you, you think, oh, they, they have no reason to harm us. And then, like, a few days later, you're like, but why wouldn't they? Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I just, like it. just for laughs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, have, I had a hard enough time. We were at the Apple store, like, a couple weeks ago, and a guy was just, like, walking around with his gun on. 
Really? And I didn't know you could do that. Does he have an open carry law in Pennsylvania, apparently? Uh, apparently. I, I looked it up afterwards because everybody in the store is kind of looking around. And, of course, he doesn't just have his gun on, but he's got... Are you the- sure it wasn't an eye gun? <laughs> I wish, but you he had the they, he had like the NRA T shirt more, but it's really worth it. He, he was decked out. I mean, all his attire was. I've got a gun, and you can't stop me. And any number of cartoons or slogans about his his right and and mm. purpose for having that gun. And mm-hmm. I was like, just the mere presence of it uh, was I, I, very un. Just the weird thing is so unsettling. Alex's father is a professor at, or is now a professor emeritus in film studies at McGill, and I didn't even know he was in town. You know, I mean, <laughs> with his NRA support, yeah, yeah, he didn't even tell you. He didn't even tell me. He should have said something. He should have said something. Yeah, well, that's how he got that job. Yeah, McGill's known for that. Canadians, oh. I roll, I roll. Uh, I want to ask the same thing though about the the. I've probably read more of your Rolling Stone articles, and what would be what would gravitate to the top in terms of fun or interest? Uh, for the Rolling Stone stuff. I did a story on uh, the paparazzi in Los Angeles and drove around with. <laughs> A nutty guy for a week yeah. as he tried to get photographs of various Jenners and Kardashians. That would and, seem only uh, slightly less dangerous than driving around Columbia. With- yeah, especially because uh, every once in a while he would say, hey, I'm going to drop you off at this gas station. i got to run a quick errand. I'll be back in 15 minutes. And he'd drive back in his leased Mercedes, and it smelled like so much weed. You know? <laughs> and I was also just interested by the end. I was just like saying, dude, if you want to smoke weed in front of me, yeah. particularly for Rolling Stone, I don't, I, I don't think that's going to be seen <laughs> yeah, as a character, character some flaw. Some of our readers but, might, yeah. But the concern was, how much weed are you smoking and then driving 60 miles an hour the wrong way through alleys to get a shot of... I, I think that's a reasonable question. So, yeah. yeah. Did he get any good shots? Did, who, did he, who was he chasing? Was it an actual Kardashians? They were actual Kardashians. <laughs> actual actual mm-hmm. Kardashians. And we staked out one of the... Kylie? Is that a Jenner? Kyle? Uh, Kylie. Ky- <coughs> Kylie is a Jenner. Ky- Kylie is a Jenner. Thanks, uh, Michelle. We, Thanks, you producer, Michelle. We, we, we and like six other cars drove 80 miles an hour on Melrose Boulevard so we could take pictures of her getting her nails done. Wow. Wow. Did they do a good job? I mean, how did the nails turn out? Well, she came out and she was wearing like a some kind of sweatshirt over her head, so it was really hard to see her nails. And was that thrilling to sort of go for the chase like that? You know, with a lot of these stories, it's thrilling, interesting, and then it becomes tiresome. I can imagine. So, yeah. So how did that compare to, it was in the Times Magazine, right? The Lindsay Lohan story profile? Yes. yes. Did she have paparazzi chasing her around? She did. She did. Um, was it the guy that you had been with? Could you wave to him? No, this was a couple of years earlier. And I think the, the shelf life of the paparazzi are usually two or three years. They uh-huh. either just go move on to something else or it's it's not a... It's not, there's no union, so there's no real incentive to putting in your 30 years. Like I work at TMZ. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. There's no paparazzi emeritus uh, where you uh, get to keep a little office space. Well, they should. They should. Maybe they we'll should. Think about that. Um, the Lindsay Lohan story, I thought, I found it interesting because it was, you know, a whole process piece about, okay, here is this sort of legendary screenwriter and director, Paul Schrader, who's trying to make a movie for a very little amount of money starring kind of this corrupted icon of yeah. a decade ago in his context when it's a little amount of money how much is a little there no, i mean we're talking three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, which, oh, which for a film is minuscule how yeah. much how much was the captain america civil war film that was uh that's that, in the that hundreds was all, of millions yeah no i think that was like three hundred thousand. they shot that all on uh, an iphone did, did they, they? Yeah. yeah you know what yeah. that was actually them. it was a mumblecore movie <laughs> good for them i yeah. think that 
I think they uh, they crowdsourced it. Well, they actually, the Lohan movie, they did crowdsource it. Oh, did they? Uh, it was one of the early, like, which was one of the Kickstarter type Kickstarter thing. Kickstarter yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And they, <laughs> you know, one of the things they offered, Paul Schrader had written the movie Taxi Driver that starred Robert De Niro. And uh, one of the things uh, he was offering was a money clip that De Niro had given him on the set. Now, was Taxi Driver <laughs> also Kickstarter? <laughs> yeah, I think that was um, more analog. Scorsese does all his work that way. Yeah, yeah, they just exactly. send out send exactly. out letters to people, right? Um, okay, so so people are hearing all these amazing stories, all these amazing things. Now, how how did you get to here? High school, college, all that stuff. Where where well, did you grow up? Well, my father, while he was piloting Navy, we moved around. Mm-hmm. A lot of the book is set up uh, Woodby Island, which is in the very northwest corner of Washington State, up in the San Juans, just oh, wow. maybe 20 miles from the Canadian border, mm-hmm. if you were swimming. After my father died, uh, my mom went to live near relatives, so we moved to this Renaissance city, a magical place called Flint, Michigan, Oh, uh, in the early in the, 80s. In the news now, I think. In the news, yeah. yeah. I, right. I wrote about that for yeah, you were. Um, so uh, I went to high school in Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. and then uh, went to Loyola in Chicago. At my high school graduation, my the vice principal told my mother that I was the student with the most potential who did the least with it, which I thought she was crying okay. tears of joy, but it turns <laughs> out the principal made her cry. At least you had the potential. I had the potential. There you exactly. go. So I went to Loyola, and I got a BA in political science and a MA in political science. I was starting to do a little writing on the side for some alternative weeklies in Chicago, and I remember in one of my grad papers I wrote, um, uh, the professor wrote in the margin, they will pay you good money to write like this for the Chicago Sun-Times wow. or the Tribune. And I'd grown up like as a magazine junkie, like got Sports Illustrated from the age of six, reading all the kind of what they called long long form pieces at uh-huh. the, the back of the magazine and started subscribing yeah. to the New Yorker and the Village Voice when I was a teenager. And But the idea of being a writer, I mean, I didn't have any examples or anybody sure. in my family or I didn't know anybody who was a writer. So the idea of making it a living didn't seem really possible. So I worked in politics for two or three years and had some entertaining experiences. Um, I worked for this guy. His name was Mel Reynolds, who was a Chicago congressman who – when I was working for him at the age of 23 or 24, he was running against an anti-Semitic candidate named, appropriately named Gus Savage, who uh, <laughs> right before like the primary would read off all what he thought was the Jewish-sounding names on Mel Reynolds' contributors list wow. at, at churches. Okay. So anyway, problem Chicago is— Chicago politics. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Mel Reynolds gets elected. Were you like a speechwriter? Uh, yeah. Or a press aide. I was, yeah. yeah. Was- so—, so the downside of the story is Mel Reynolds gets elected, and within two years, uh, he's convicted of uh, having sex with a 17-year-old intern and embezzling $400,000. Did I Did I already say Chicago politics? <laughs> yeah. I think I did. Okay. But my main job is I was working for an obscure United States senator named Alan Dixon. This is in the early 90s. And one of the things I had to do, I moved to Washington to work in his office, and he was one of those great, I don't know if it was 12 or 14 Democratic senators who put Clarence Thomas over the top. And oh. I had to write his floor statement saying why this was a great idea. Oh, and man. at least at that point, I started thinking, I can't say that it was, I was thinking it every day, but I started thinking, you know what? I might want to do something else for a living. I actually just sort of on a whim, not on a whim, but, you know, someone told me about it, applied for an internship as a reporter researcher, which is basically a glorified name for a $250 a week intern at the New Republic and somehow got it. So, who was uh, the editor there? That, Andrew Sullivan. Andrew Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, the great thing about working there and working with someone like Andrew, at least Andrew, 
Uh, we it's Sully circa, circa, around here. Yeah, Sully. Yeah. <laughs> circa, <laughs> circa, circa 1992 is... Front of the show. Future guest. <laughs> you could just turn and copy, and he'd just totally rewrite it and make you look smart. And at that age, you were so... I was so fearful. Yeah. I had no pride in authorship. I mean, I had pride in my... My, my byline was on it, but yeah. if he wanted to rewrite it and totally change my ideological point of view, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's a good writer. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I did that for a year, and then I worked at a couple city magazines in Boston and Philadelphia. Could and, you? Did you feel like your writing was... Like demonstrably improving, like you're learning the craft, you're getting. I was. I think it was more, I, more by osmosis, just by either reading and or just talking to these editors and stuff yeah. like that. But you see it as sort of a skill you you just get better at type of thing. You know, I I, I do. I mean, I, you know, I don't struggle as much with the writing as is is coming up with good ideas, okay. which is always a struggle for me. There was an editor at the Washington City paper that I applied for a job at after I left the New Republic, and um, he made me cry. And he said, you know, Steve, you can make the words do the mambo, but I don't see any good ideas here. Oh. And I just shakily put the phone down. Wow. I showed him. You did. Yeah. <laughs> you did. What was his name? Jack Schaefer. We won't have him on his the show. His name's Jack Schaefer. No, not not a friend of the show. He, he, Who, wasn't somebody asking, show. somebody was asking if we had enemies of the show. We do now. <laughs> and that's one of the good things about Instead of just purely freelancing, like having contracts at a place like Rolling Center Men's Journal, is it's not just up to me to come up with the ideas. That like the John McAfee thing was their idea, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and you know I've done stories where it's literally it's almost like I, all I need is a cue. It's like uh, you know, just, uh, editor GQ once said to me, "He's like, we'd really like to do a story on high school wrestling," and then I found like a high school wrestling team in I- Iowa and followed them for a season. <laughs> But I never would have thought of that on my own, just mm-hmm. the concept, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm bad at concepts, but if you give me, like, we're interested in this, and then yeah. I can start Googling and nexusing and, and learning about it and then go off on my merry way. I write maybe eight or ten pieces a year, so when I say I come up with only two or three good ideas, I mean, I come up with other ideas that they don't like, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like, the Lohan one was my idea. The way the book was shaped was my idea. So, you know, some of my friends, magazine writers, you know, they have an office that looks a little bit like a serial killer's office where they just have, like, boards with clippings. And yeah, and the threads. Of the yeah, kind of, yeah, and yeah. lists of, like, story ideas and arrows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just follow the money and <laughs> stuff like that. And <laughs> You I'm, should have that in your own. Just, just for no reason, uh, apropos of nothing, <laughs> follow the money. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that is actually one of my, uh, I come from what I call the repeat until funny school of comedy. The great school and that's uh, simon's you guys were uh, your classmates because <laughs> the repeat until funny is that they they haven't laughed because they haven't quite gotten it yet that's right so you that's just right. got to keep on going with it you gotta you gotta be persistent and my and my wife is she she's pretty tolerant full, <laughs> full about i get to like the postdoctoral repeat until funny where i'm repeating the line for like the ninth time now um, i i get we are not married to the same person but in that respect we are Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. All th- I, I think that maybe just might be marriage because I have the same <laughs> phenomenon. It's weird. And that's the thing about like having kids is that they're okay with it for a while, but now they're getting to the age where... Well, you know, with uh, my son, he we reached a major moment yesterday when I asked him um, if he wanted to play, and he just looked at me in the eyes and said, I'm busy. <laughs> How old is he? He's two and a half. <laughs> did, he have, did he have like another play date coming up? He had some fire trucks. Was he texting he was, somebody? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did he put his one finger up in the air? Yeah. Yeah. Just exactly. exactly. He, he was doing an interview with uh, the CBC uh, Maritime Provinces, I'm sure. um, just about uh, the the Olean clan of Montreal, mm-hmm. and they wanted a young person's. Beef. It makes sense. The one, one of the worst things, getting back to back to spouses, that I ever did 
was <laughs> um, convincing Jen to try scallops. She was convinced she didn't like scallops, and we went to a restaurant. I said, "Well, you know, scallops are. I I enjoy scallops. Just just try these." And she tried, and now she loves scallops. But now, every time she says she doesn't like something, which you know she obviously knows her herself, she knows she doesn't like it. I always bring up the scallops example, and she's she just, tired of it. She she I think she's at the point now. Where she would gladly live without scallops for the entire her rest of her life. So when you try to get her to come over to fascism, mm-hmm. you, and she says no, you just go. You, no, you like scallops? This is no scallop situation. Give it, give, give it give it a try. Precisely, and that that doesn't seem to work with yeah. her. Well, so reason. even when you put on the uniform, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of my examples too that uh, Chris does not need to hear anymore wouldn't work for you, Stephen, because you actually have done this. But I always want to have a byline when I published something that his work has appeared near copies of the New Yorker, New York Times Magazine, <laughs> Harper's, the Atlantic, top, exactly, below, exactly, adjacent exactly. to. Exactly. And I actually haven't found any uh, editor or, or publisher who would let me use that byline. <laughs> Editors. Someday. I should, this podcast, I mean, maybe, can we find a way? It has, a, it has been listened to near people who, the have, same who listen to better, that as, have, uh, as yeah. much better podcasts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. On the same devices <laughs> as This American Life, what, at WTF, Mark Maron. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I have a quiz. We have a quiz for you. Okay. And it's the real or not quiz. And the real or not hook here is, are these actual descriptions used in New Yorker profiles? Because I can't find, I've never been able to ask someone who's written for the New Yorker if the editors require you to use the the, the trick that you're going to see in all these examples, whether I made them up or not. Because New Yorker is, is this vaunted fact-checking department. You know, it's, it's, yes, I'm told I it mean, is vaunted. Isn't, I mean, there's whole essays about how hard the fact checking is. They're charming, but vaunted. Well, because of that, I'm always taken aback by the use of certain descriptions of the, of the characters being profiled that to me seem not possibly fact checkable. And I don't know how they get through the system. So, uh, we'll do the real not quiz. We've got our two auditioning interns and our producer, Michelle. Uh, hyphen Poulton Simon. So am I just supposed to say real or not real? Yeah, so, you're, yeah, so you're, you'll go last. You'll go last because you're the expert. Because you're the expert. Mm-hmm. And I'll read, I have a series of, of quotes. These are longer than the usual quizzes because okay. these are full quotes that are either really in the New Yorker or I just made them up. Got it. So you're going to get me in trouble and make it so that I will never be able to write for the New Yorker again. <laughs> Thank be, you. They, they Because they will listen to this. <laughs> right. Well, we already have the whole gopnik Olin tension going. And very, that, that's very. no comment. That's yeah. no, no comment. <laughs> Damn it. Um, and, and Michelle kn- knows Adam Gopnik too. <laughs> I once saw him interview someone. That's my close tie to him. There you go. No comment. As, as we said, Michelle knows. Yeah, she's good friends with him. In my say. world, once having seen someone interview him, oh, what's yeah. the difference between yeah, that yeah. and knowing a person? I'm not sure. The no comment. Like, if I watch television, whether the characters are actually real people or not, I have a trouble with that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. It's a real blind spot. All right, number one. Is everybody ready out there? Yep. 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 All right, we'll see if we get the flavor of this. We'll see how well this works. Because all the, all the quizzes just work so well. Totally. See dead or Canadian? Her Windex blue eyes go down at the corner, giving her a quizzical and sometimes melancholy expression, and her face is delicately ravaged, like a coin washed up on a beach. So you're asking... Now, are you asking this whether a, the, the whether that's actually been no. written or whether it's true that she has Windex? I'm asking eyes. if these are actual lines from New Yorker articles, which is famous for fact checking, because the suggestion would be that they fact check that to say that um, that her face Windex. was like a coin washed up on a beach, not on a lake shore. No, 
not uh, not carried in the rain, well, but washed up. Very different, very different things. Now, can I can I preface this by saying I mostly read the New Yorker for the cartoons? Same. Okay, so and I read I read it mostly for the listings, even though I don't live in New York anymore. <laughs> I have digital copies of every cartoon since like nineteen eighty something. They're they're very funny. Okay, but um, let's let's start with the quiz. Uh, that seemed that seemed even a little bit too is prosaic a good word for that? Ask the writer. You tell me when you want me to chime in. Okay. Wait. Well, can, well, can you chime in now? Where the prosaic is a good word for that? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, studio. Simon's giving me a no. Okay. I'll say yes. Yes, I I think yeah. No. I say Windex Blue. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. Okay. Damn He's it. one 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 and zero. Now that that wasn't one of yours, right? No, <laughs> no okay. comment. I will I will say ahead of this quiz that none of these are are Roderick Ooh. lines. Oh, good, good. All right, number two. At seventy, he has owlish eyes. A flared Hungarian nose and a tendency to gesture broadly with the flat palms of his hands. Wow. Owlish eyes, a flared Hungarian nose, and a tendency to gesture broadly with the flat palms of his hands. You know, say what you will about How do the you writing. Gesture? It it paints a word picture. It paints a word picture. I feel I feel like I can see him now. I don't know how you gesture widely with the flat palms of your hands. I was mostly talking about the flared Hungarian nose, because that I got that. I can't read really... in my head. Alright. Um I'm gonna say Yes. I'll also go yes. I think yes. Yes. I'm going to say no because Hungarian flared nose sounds like a little bit of an ethnic slur. Oh, it was a yes. Ah, that was actually in reference to Gregory Nagy, a Greek literature professor at Harvard. But Hungarian nose. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't. I don't think it should be okay. Uh, Let me let me retract that and say no comment. (laughs) (laughs) That works. Uh, Bokazama, who is in her early 50s, has brown hair and glasses and the demeanor of an enthusiastic science teacher. The demeanor of an enthusiastic science <laughs> teacher? So, it's so much less flamboyant than yeah. all the other ones. I'll yeah. say no. I'm going to say yeah. no as well. I'm going to say no. Yeah. Now you're just testing me. Yep. No. Yep. 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 no. See, I, I don't think you're you're able to come up with the other ones. I, oh, I think you he doesn't think you're a good enough these. writer. Yeah, I think you would just kind of flounder. Yeah. How dare you, sir? You yeah. think that wow. I'm my fidelity to I'm the truth? Yeah. No, my fidelity to the truth is so high that I couldn't yeah, possibly no, no, come yeah. up. Right, you'd come up with very like directed uh, descriptions. Well, anyways, that was a yes. It was really a quote. Oh, damn. Oh, no. context, I take it all context, back. No please. comment. Context. No comment. Ben typically does not have context <laughs> for these. I just want to warn you. Do you have context for this? <laughs> not for that one. Not for that one. But, so. but, but I have the date. Who was a, if you, you know, know who it was about? Or I, I, I couldn't find it. Do you, do you have a LexisNexis subscription? I, I do, but just... I'm just curious how you found it without a title or an author or, uh, or a subject. Well, I know it's from the July 22nd, 2013 issue. He did. So, so how did you find this sentence? Google search for enthusiasm. Uh, because I <laughs> uh, because I write these down whenever I see them for, for many years. Okay. You're a bit, a bit of a hoarder. Uh, it just has bothered me for so long. Mm. Can you imagine how long I've been saving these up to ask somebody? Oh, finally. All right, the next one, I actually know where it comes from. Okay. Slender and tan, with clear blue eyes and a smooth, seemingly boneless gait. He looks as if he just stepped off a dance floor in Ibiza. But what is a boneless gait? Like boneless fish or like an alien? Is that like walking Floppy? like jello? Yeah, that, that would that I would keep thinking of like name. Zoidberg on Futurama. Why not Zoidberg? Um, Crustacean. Uh, Ibiza dance floor. Like, like all, all these things are descriptions. I don't know if they go together, though. I'm going to say no. I'm also going to say no. Uh, 
Uh, no. Yeah. No. Don't hurt yourself. I'm going to say yes. Steven Roderick scores big. It's a yes. Damn it. That's in reference to the uh, self-driving car pioneer Sebastian Thurn by an article from Burkhart Bilger in you know, the Autocorrect article. When you say that, now I'm thinking he <laughs> no. does look like a homeless no. date with off a Nabisa dance floor. Oh, damn it. Can I, can I tell you a little story real quick? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Anything to save this. Yes. Sometimes, you know, magazine editors ask you for like two or three paragraphs of what you might call a nut graph or like, why are we reading this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did a story about 15 years ago about Dennis Rodman and uh, did you have to hang out with him? Of course, did I you did. get to hang out? I did. I did. But but the, the the moral of the story is I couldn't nail those three paragraphs. And then a friend and I, after my editor rejected my three paragraphs two <laughs> or three times, we got intoxicated and we wrote three parody paragraphs <laughs> of including saying that you know Dennis Rodman had been made into an action figure that you could buy at a store. And <laughs> I wrote once you've been made into an American action figure, there's no coming back from that. Yeah. and sent it to my editor and he was like that's that's exactly what we needed and that changed your writing forever <laughs> you're like well okay and that's how you landed in eastern pennsylvania <laughs> there you go no comment <laughs> <laughs> um do you know timothy ferris uh, i know who he is but i do not know him personally well at the time of this article timothy Ther- ferris who is 33 years old is almost impossibly affable with a square jaw twinkling blue eyes and a tanned well-shaped skull that beams through his close cropped fair hair Apparently they don't they don't uh, write about a lot of pale people in the New Yorker. A lot of tan people. A lot of tan people. I, I now now I'm on sideshow Tom's side. And could you make those up? I'm going to say yes. No comment. I'm going to say yes. It's true. It's it's got to be because I don't I don't I don't know if you would write. Follow that. the money. I'm going to say will. yes as well. I'll follow the. I'll effort. go yes. I'll go no. I'll go yes. Yes, it's a yes. See, it's a profile of Timothy Ferris. Yeah. I have some more, but I think uh, they're all yes. Yep. Every single one of them is yes. Yeah, yeah. I've got like 20 Damn more you, yes. Sir. Damn you. They're all yes, and I don't understand why it's okay that they can... Like, how can you it's fact not, check the coin on a, washed up coin on a beach? Well, but that's not a fact. That's an opinion of the writer of what the person looks like or something. You may think it's flamboyant. But I think she really has to be an enthusiastic science teacher if you're going to claim that this character is... Looks like an enthusiastic, or just stepped off the dance floor at a visa. Similes, they're things. They're things. Yeah, you can use those. There's another uh, author, John Cassidy, who looked a bit like an aging member of a British progressive rock group. That's actually apt. I've seen pictures of him. Yeah, I mean, I think these work. (laughs) It's it's funny. Someone uh, described this band uh, like uh, the Jayhawks, who just released an album. Mm -hmm. He's my friend said they all look like sixty year old architects. (laughs) Yep, that's app description there you go yeah. uh simon did you have a question i do have a question for you which day do you prefer friday or sunday they're all the same to me no um, you have to answer so it's, no, no see the, the fact that they're all the same to me is a suggestion of my latent depression oh okay um, so well, but uh let me let me think about there it there must be one that's less depressing uh, than the um, others well sunday no one listens to this right no. Correct. Uh, we maybe have, like my wife uh, is maybe not a dozen. Michelle's parents, I think, do. Michelle's parents do. My wife's not yep, going to listen. About it. Yeah, no, my uh, wife doesn't. Okay. No, my wife does, but I force her to. Yeah. So but I think I actually say, Michelle's parents are probably growing weary of it. A good baker's dozen of people will listen to this. All right. Okay. I mean, I'm a big sports fan. Okay. So I like Sundays, but Sundays it's a tough day because it's also a day without daycare. Mm. So okay. You know, when I was younger, like 42. Yes. Uh, Back in the day. <coughs> Thursdays. Thursday because nights. Why? You go to get a nice dinner. Thursday night SmackDown on WWE. That, and mm-hmm. you could hang out with your friends, and 
No crowds. It, because it was anticipated. It, and it was close enough to the weekend that yeah. it was... Yeah, yeah, Friday you were just coasting through anyway. Okay. Um, okay. So so I'm going to say you are a Sunday fan because of sports more than a Friday. I like the Jangle Pop band, the Sundays, that were very popular in okay. uh, the years about 87 to 91. Okay. <laughs> of, course. Of, how, course. Uh, of course. How many athletes have you profiled? 26. Really? No, I have no idea. <laughs> that was, More than one. That was so good. <laughs> a qu- at least a quarterback. And I'll ask I have a few, a few, a couple dozen, I would say. <laughs> Pretty good. I, now, I used to do all, only sports, so I used to work at ESPN Magazine. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. All Now, all sports do you like? Do I like all sports? Rank the sports. Rank the major league sports. Ba- yeah, after no, baseball. Well, high lie first. Orioles still in first. <laughs> I find football eminently watchable. Okay. And then this is where I do the long preamble. Uh, Objects in the mirror may be closer than you imagine, and people who play. I would never let my son play football, and it's a sport that probably should not be allowed to be played. Maybe with a big enough helmet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like a, a thriller. Uh-huh. Um, and who's your football team? You it's been one. the Oakland Raiders, but okay. they've been so sad for. I was I, I used to cry when they would lose in the playoffs. <laughs> wow! And then they finally made it to the Super Bowl, but we were on a cross country train. And I found out, like, somewhere in Wyoming or North Dakota, they had won, and I wow. never saw the game. This is the same as when I was on my honeymoon, is when Cal Ripken broke his consecutive streak record, and I couldn't watch the game. Huh. This is the exact same thing. Where were you on your honeymoon? Oh, uh, in the Cayman Islands. Oh. Wow. So, it wasn't so much you felt guilty, you literally couldn't get the game on? Correct. You would have found a way to watch it if you had it on your cable package. <laughs> if it had been possible, probably. I could have I mean, worked a way in to make that seem like it was part of the whole marriage deal. I was I was in the Sky Dome at Game Six, nineteen ninety three World Series, when Joe, Joe Carter, Carter hit his home run off of Mitch Williams. One You're, of the two or three dozen athletes I've written about in wait, Mitch Williams. Mitch Williams, yes, oh, he yeah. was uh, Wild Thing Williams, coaching a minor league team in Atlantic City, and uh, as one does, spent a few days with him. Um, just and, me, him, a few dozen fans, and lots of seagulls. Have that you, sounds nice. Have you ever met Bill Murray? I've not, but people have said that I look like him. Oh, seems I, like uh, seems like you two would would have fun hanging out. Uh, like you'd you know, be the, it, you'd be the person to do uh, like a, a profile with. It's Murray. funny his last movie, uh, which I can't. It's nothing that <coughs> rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. Yeah. Rolling Stone was in negotiations to send me over to Morocco to write about him in the movie, <laughs> and he doesn't have a phone. Seriously, doesn't have a phone. Yeah, I mean. Famously, doesn't he have that 800 number you're supposed to go. <laughs> exactly. He hasn't. Re- Michelle, has he answered yet? Not yet. You mean after having appeared on episode 19? <laughs> We've had a lot of people on episode 19. Yeah, yeah. I right. do have. I do have a, a follow up question for the Friday Sunday question. What, what are your thoughts on black licorice as a candy? Disgusting. Disgusting. You're, you're more like, of a Friday person. What that indicates to you, given that you didn't have much of a preference, you're more of a Friday person. You say black ri- licorice. I say Donald Trump. Wow. Um. So, have you asked all your questions? Yeah, I think we should probably close okay. it up. Well, Stephen Roderick, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Like, well, thanks for having me. Well, you're welcome. Uh, thank you for coming by. Yes, and for to our listeners out there, you can follow us on Twitter at some later date. Or you carry a folder in your hand yeah. because people will assume that you're either going to a meeting or you have something important to do. Yeah. And that works if you're like a member of Lafayette. If you don't actually teach her, I think you could still adopt that style. If you had a folder and you walked into Lower Fernon. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think anybody's going to say anything. Are you saying that if I put on long pants, which I'm not wearing at this time, I am wearing pants or shorts. <laughs> if, yes. if you're wearing shorts, people but are going to... with gonna... my disheveled hair and a folder, I could pass for a... Uh, absolutely. Computer science department? If, oh, math God, department? God. Just Either add the folder. Just that add the folder. an outrage. I'm, I'm just saying. S- seriously, none of the like not, not English, English or history? <laughs> you went computer science? Right, right wow. now, as it stands... English, you would not be mistaken for. Has anybody ever cried on your podcast before? (laughs) We've had no storm-offs. We've had no cries. (laughs) A lot of listeners cry after they listen to our podcast. (laughs) Theory, they've wasted an entire 45 minutes. Tears of joy. Tears of... Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. And when it ends, right? When the suffering is over. (laughs) Free at last. Free at last. (laughs)